In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you. I've come here to judge today. This is uh, episode number 37. We are in season two, and we're going to title this episode with maybe a mini-series, As the Court Turns. This episode is named Decision Interrupted. We're going to spend some time talking about recent events at the Supreme Court in relation to some laws that Texas is trying to put on its books or actually has successfully put on its books. It'll be interesting to see if they stay there. It is important that we talk about this. We think, you know, we're not a a real-time news organization per se, but uh, what we have noticed is within the media, there is a lot of buzz going on. They're getting everyone very excited about what SCOTUS has done. But I think the real story here is more about what SCOTUS has not done. And, and I don't think they're really talking about it. They're just talking about the outrage. And, and, and I agree, there is outrage in this law it is disgusting in my opinion. However, the court has not officially upheld anything in my opinion but michael you you had some great analysis for us thank you um yeah no no decision has been made at this point but it's a huge signal flare um and i understand i think we understand why different groups would be up in arms around this um especially for the interim period so the dissents from the bench excuse me by kagan and sotomayor as well as others, um, really paint the picture of why the signal flare is concerning. And I mean, from my own perspective, it concerns me because it just smells like um, religious ideology, you know, being put into our laws. Um, And so that's just... That's an aside, that's an affront to the Constitution because, you know, our laws are supposed to be free from religion as well as, you know, any individual if they so choose uh, to join a religion or to be free of religion should be personal choice. And there should be nothing in the laws that are driven or reflecting a preference to any particular religion in this land. So <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see. But I mean, just to take, take a step back. You need, we all need to be very critical of any sensationalism around this because it is just a signal flare. I mean, it was an emergency request to put a stay, to put a hold on the implementation of that law in Texas while lawsuits, which are already filed, are on their way um, through appeals and whatnot to get to the Supreme Court so that they will, at some point in the future, make a decision on one of those cases. Um so if you can just, I mean, if we can clarify that point. So, so what most people are used to, and even I, you know, Mike, what I'm more used to is when a case works its way through the system, it gets to the Supreme Court and there is a massive official ruling. And I think people are getting confused. The, the media makes it sound like the same thing has happened, but this is not business as usual. This is somebody just kind of overstepping the system and going directly to the court, like an escalation, if you will, a Karen court request. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah 
That's exactly right. And and it makes sense um, because the way the law, you know, is to be implemented and executed in the interim period between now and the time that those cases, the actual cases come up before the court, there I'm I can only imagine there will be documented scenarios of actual harm to women in Texas. Um, either because they aren't able to get services that they were able to get prior to that law passing um, or as a result of the law and vigilante justice coming to bear on individuals. So the, the, law, the law has a few striking things that are incredibly scary in them and anybody drawing a likeness to what's the show, Margaret Atwood's show, with Are you the, saying the um, the uh, Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale, yeah. I totally understand the draconian draw to that because of the way the law is designed to pit citizens against one another um, in order to enforce it, which is is atrocious. <laughs> it's atrocious, and it's not it's not the type of law that you typically would see in a more democratic style republic. Um, maybe more more of a communist regime. So it's really interesting to see conservatives upholding communist style law enforcement. Um, I, it's just baffling for for a number of reasons, and and so it's going to be very very fascinating to see how the court decides the cases when they come to bear. Now, if this decision to ignore or you know put not put a stay in place from the emergency request, I mean, if that's reading tea leaves as to what's to come then people have a right to be concerned. Um, but right now, yeah, that case has yet to be decided. So let's be clear, this battle is still up ahead. And um, that signal flare tells us a little bit about how the majority may decide. It doesn't guarantee us that um, because you know what? The court ultimately, more important than its own ideology, is its long-term um, our belief in it, right? They have to maintain confidence in the court. They know that they lose power if they lose legitimacy. So in my mind, to me, the decision's kind of up in the air. So they, especially when they come out and do a hard signal flare like this, so that's going to give the base their base. Now, I'm going to talk about this in political terms, which is sad, but it's essentially how it is. And it, it may not be Republican Democratic lines, but there's ideological lines that these are clearly on one side or the other. And so what we're going to see is maybe this was just red meat for their base, but they aren't going to upset the apple cart when the, when the decision comes on those cases, there may be something in those cases that allows them to split the hair, split the difference. Like maybe, you know, maybe they only go halfway into, um, removing or repealing civil rights for citizens in the United States. Are they going to do a half measure? Are they going to do a whole measure or no measure at all? Because maybe, maybe they see in the law, even the most conservative view, it's not good for legitimacy of the court, mm -hmm. right. To decide against itself. I wonder also if not, I mean, all that's makes complete sense. I mean, thank you for giving that, analysis because I think a lot of individuals need to take a look at their 
primary news outlets, take a look at your resources and see how they've treated the current scenario. If they gave you a sense of finality on this, if they gave you a sense of decision has been made and they've wasted a lot of your time with it, that's unfortunate. It is an important issue. It deserves to be discussed. But did they treat it like settled business to get your emotions going? And that's what we're trying to get away from is media that is emotion based and purely kick click bait, if you will. Um, but I am just really um, interested in the fact that, uh, you know, we uh, what I think is so I'm going back to operations, Michael, we we would even train in the industry, we would train consumer behaviors through our decisioning policy. So I, I'm wondering if the court, you know, everyone's read into it, but what if the court's just like, we are not going to let everyone just come with these emergency requests, right? No, 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 let's just shut them down, not listen to them, ignore them. And, and of course, unfortunately, um, the, 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 the right is going to treat it like a win because they treat everything like a win, even if they lost. So, it, it, you know, they're just they're just pumping it up. Right. So, in fact, was this actually a non-event? Um, I see what I do see. As a like an artifact of that decision in and of itself is that the core is upholding states rights. The core is saying we are not in a position because we have yet to have a case to be heard to act on this so don't ask us to get involved absent of a case we're not going to do it texas legislature legally passed that law the governor of texas signed it into law those are all constitutional events the state is allowed to pass its own laws whether or not those laws are punitive to american citizens that live in texas will be determined when a case is brought to the court. And that's what I believe the court has really just said clearly with, with this decision. Don't bother us until you give us a case. And I'm that's just the majority, too. right? That's the majority yeah. opinion. I mean, half of the court didn't agree. They would have put a stay in place. And let me just talk about why, sure. right? <laughs> um, I'm not trying to talk down the emergency request. I think it was legitimate especially when you read the dissent, um, because as citizens of the United States, we should be protected by the laws of the federal government, no matter what state we happen to reside in. And this law in Texas effectively removes entirely rights from individual citizens in Texas, citizens of the United States rights that they have under federal law. So that was really a key, in my mind, a very key component of the dissent um, and would have been a good argument for why a stay should have been put in place um, because the law disenfranchises citizens. So there is a an issue with that disenfranchisement. And it's interesting too, because I, I appreciate you bringing up states' rights because you, you're absolutely right. It was a it was a law created through the duly elected process. It is, it is the state's right to, to legislate, and it is up to the federal government to deal with that grievance. I think a lot of us forget that, that we reside in these states, but we are citizens of the federal system. They, we, we reserve our benefits. You know, It's not the state of Arizona 
that lets me travel to other countries. It's my rights under the federal system, not the state system. And, and people seem to forget that they're different government. They're different structures. We are technically sovereign, independent state governments that are part of an overarching system. And I think that's a good thing to point out that this is really a, it is a state's rights matter more so, but people are getting caught up in the mix. That's right. And I think before we move on to the, I think the next topic around this, uh, which just fluttered out of my little brain. <laughs> the, we got to talk about who's really at fault here because it is not the court's responsibility to close the gap. Uh, we have a, a at sleep legislature who is, who is left us. In, so really, Michael, it's not the court who's affected the, the, the citizens it's not the court. It's it uh, to me. It's it's the legislature. It's the wing. It's their it's their sisters in the third wing of the government. Okay. And brothers, let me just yeah. they. It's they in the in the third wing. I think as we continue to review, you know, this decision, um, and I, I'm going to continue to watch it very closely because. Again, I emotionally was triggered by it, which disappoints me because I try to focus on independent media and even they were being a little bit focused on it in the wrong ways. Yeah, I had to read into it in detail to get my bearings on it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, there's no case. <laughs> this is has yet to be. I get the signal flare. Got to put the signal flare in context. Um, but this is far from over, very far from over. So with that, why don't we um, take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll pick up. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law, Citizen Do Good values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution along with the original core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for the Republic that provides us the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has merch, uh, specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution, help us pay for production and hosting. Please feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. So coming back to one of the last couple of bullets we had for um, going through this topic here, like the cause and the real fix. Um, you were hinting at this right before the break, I think. The reason why we're even in this situation where people's rights are flippantly here today or gone tomorrow based on the whim of a court that has a life appointment and is not elected is, is very precarious. It's very strange. And it is a lack of leadership 
through our legislative bodies. Unfortunately, we just have not mustered the strength to create good laws. Um, the idea that a woman's right to choose the destiny of her own physical body is up to five people to make the decision ultimately. And the only reason why they even have that right today is because of an original decision by those five unelected people that sit there for lifetime appointments. This is not how to operate uh, democracy democratically. It's barely, I, I would say, barely a way to operate our republic. I mean, the way we've defined it through the Constitution and everything else, it's just, it's, and, and it's also civil rights. I mean, if you look at civil rights in general, that's the crux of all things. There's plenty of legislation that can go through, you know, the purse strings, the power of the purse strings that Congress has. They can push all that legislation through with just a mere majority vote. Um, but anything that has to do with rights, civil rights and civil liberties, all those get put through the filibuster process. So you need 60, more than 60 votes to actually do any legislation. And, and it's interesting because when you look at all the civil rights legislation that's been passed over the history of this country, the fight against it has been so strong through the courts that what's clearly documented in writing isn't what we have in implementation anymore. And it's a, it's a really fascinating cultural war dug in by ideology, racism, history, you know, the history of this country where some people had rights to own other people versus where we are today, where people no longer have the rights to own one another. <laughs> we've come a long way, but we've had to really gerrymander our way to this point. And that's why it's, it's strange and it's difficult and it's problematic. We, we really shouldn't be relying on the courts to make these types of very weighty decisions. You know, and, and courts have been known to flip-flop over the years. They don't always end up on the right side of history. They end, they're on the wrong side of history for a time until they're on the right side, and then they're back on the wrong side. And I mean, I, I won't go into it now, but I always talk a little bit about the Warren Court back in the day, because that was one of the few times in our history where the Supreme Court with the same head justice <laughs> changed its mind in his lifetime the Warren court. <laughs> I can't recall the details of what that was about, but I, I'm sure it was civil rights um, related and how majority of our civil rights in this country come through the commerce clause in the constitution, which is pretty ridiculous. I mean, equal treatment, like to be served, you know, in business or, you know, having to not pay an additional tax when you want to cross state lines, you buy your train ticket or something, you know, there's, there was all kinds of discriminatory practices in private companies where states had laws that were not punitive. And so eventually all those had to come to the federal government because the federal government regulates interstate commerce. So it's a bit of a stretch, again, because of a failure of our ability to legislate properly for civil rights, for citizens. Let me pause. What I struggle with is that you've got these legislature, you've got the, you've got all politicians, frankly, anyone that's pushing uh, for uh, the, uh, any of the lawmaking or administrative wing, and they'll blame 
SCOTUS. They'll blame the courts for what's happening. And they and that's the thing. I remember that during the Bush administration, the activist justice and all of this activist courts. But what was missing from that whole story is the only reason they had to act is because nobody would in the legislature, right? Somebody has to make a decision. You would not legislate. You would not close the gap and protect your citizens. And the courts were forced to rule. They cannot just say they're the Supreme Court. They can't say, oh, whoopsie daisy. We can, They can't hand it back. I mean, they need to, I, I, I suppose they could, right, Mike? They could always send it back and say it's a matter for the legislature, right? Instead of ruling, they have some power there um, or ability to send it back. But I just don't think that gets us anywhere in society. Mm-hmm. No, and the technicalities they always fall on are the constitutionality of things. And the problem there is, is it ignores the fact that constitutionality in and of itself is an interp- interpretation. It's an interpretation that the judges do based on the law. And now we have like five originalists versus four people who are willing to take the words and apply them to reality today. Originalists, let me just take a step back. So the majority of five people who weighed in on this recent court case, I would throw them all into the originalist category, even though they may not identify themselves that way. But basically, that's someone who just looks at the the words, the letters on the page, right? And and if they're going to consider context around the words on the page, they consider it in the time that it was written. What was the intent of the individuals of the time when it was written to add context, to read in any context, right? And that's a very slippery slope because the other side of the fence can do the same thing. The people who are going to read the text and rather than try and interpret it exactly how it was intended to mean in the time it was written, so read it and look at it, how it makes sense to be applied to people living life today with the technology we have today, right? With the reality on the ground today. And so either in either of those cases, though, it requires you to glean some understanding of what the spirit of the law was which is based on the intent and the intent of was it the intent of the individuals in their minds who wrote it or was it the intent of the outcome of the law that they wrote and i know i it sounds like i'm splitting hairs here but there's a big difference if a legislature in their mind wrote a law hoping it would remove people's rights to control their bodies. But when you read the text of the law and you think about the outcome being civil rights or civil liberties, you can interpret it very differently. If, if, you, if you're thinking about it as an outcome base and say, okay, the way this is written to me feels like it's trying to enfranchise an individual to have more agency over their own life. And so, you know, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's all interpretation. That's the only point I want to make with that. And it's dangerous in that sense, right? And that's why you got to legislate things clearly. You know, you got to make, that's what good law is, right? A good law is one that can stand the test of time, is pretty clear in its intent and its desired outcomes, the spirit of it. So would you say that, the stacking the core argument is purely that of just 
um, just frankly causing wind. Really, the legislature should be passing legislation and not adding more members to the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we're supposed to have we're supposed to have judges appointed that really uphold the law and are supposed to consider themselves as citizens of the Republic as well. Um, and the ramifications and the effects of these things for the population of the United States, right? No one citizen or group or category of citizens, regardless of the parts you were born with attached to your body, has any more or less rights over anybody else. That, that I think, is something we should all be able to agree on. Although I'm sure there are women out there who still believe that they should be property and that their bodies are the whims of others. You know, that I don't think that that's that's that is for an individual to choose for themselves. That is not for an individual to choose for others. And this is where I get really hung up on the idea and I obviously you can you can tear me down left right the other way but I will be critical of people who sit on the courts who issue decisions that in my mind logically clearly are not congruent to who they are as an individual um, and and so to me that is evidence of an ideology that's come to bear on an individual that they uphold above their own rights and above their own agency and their own life. So many people give up their lives to insert name, whether it's a God or a priest or a pastor or a, a witness or a saint or I don't know. Or a political candidate. <laughs> or a political candidate, an ideologue. Any, any ideologue, anybody who gives themselves beholdenly simply to ideas rather than to thinking critically, that's an affront to our system. Our system is founded on critical thought and questioning things and changing our minds when it makes sense. You know, We have to be open to that. And make no mistake about any religion, they're all interpreted. They're all interpretations, many flavors of interpretations of many things written or unwritten years ago. So I have a really hard time when we start conflating law with ideology from other people's books, other people's books outside of, you know, our constitutions and other documents written that support that. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I'm really just trying to call it out in all the flavors and ways that I see it where, you know, critical thinking goes wrong. <laughs> people's beliefs sometimes get mixed in there. And that's, that's some of the dangers what I saw in the signal flare. Um, people, you know, making decisions in violation of their own, you know, personal freedoms. But at the end of the day, too, if I'm sitting on the court and I'm an originalist and I believe that the federal government has limited authority and states have expressed authorities in the Constitution, which is true, then, you know, maybe I'm just going to lean on that and I'm going to avoid the social stigma of taking a stand too soon. Is the court susceptible to or interested in public reaction? Would they do something like this? And do we know 
do they watch public reaction? Do they care? Um, is this is this a way for them to to stoke and see what the current public mood is when they when they overall make a decision like this? No, I mean I'm gonna say no as how it feeds into the decisioning. Do they as individuals contemplate that? I'm sure they do. Um, but I think what's more influential to how they make their decisions is their ideology. And, and those most close to them, most immediately around them that share those ideologies, right? So they don't care about the far-flung individuals in Texas. They're actually mostly concerned with their, with their elite cadre, you know, immediately in their circle. Um, so, you know, all of these individuals have come up through various ranks, having built various relationships and joining various organizations. So how they think about things and, and their decisions are not always just their own. I, I don't believe that's possible. It's not possible for any of us in society, right? <laughs> None of us are our own little isolated box. We all are influenced by our environment. They are no different. But the nation is not their environment, in my opinion. I think they have a very select, I don't know what the number is, and I don't know who they are, but they definitely have circles, and those circles influence how they think. And they will be considering them and how they make their decisions just as much as you know, the highfalutin ideas of the future of the republic, if, if they're all at all concerned about the legitimacy of the court, I'm sure they're probably preemptively that's probably the real preemptive discussion is how do we not piss off people so far as to become packed now i'm speaking as if the court is an entity if i was the supreme court and i'm a bunch of conservative justice that has a power that i haven't had in a long time i certainly don't want to abuse it to the point that the legislature feels like it has to add additional judges to make it impartial again or make it legitimate and that's a that's a real risk, the legitimacy of that court. And I think the you know the Supreme Court justice is always the first and foremost individual that considers that. Now, this size of the court has shit. I know we've spoken about it before, but can you clarify the size of the court? And mm. yeah, so now uh, we currently have nine. We didn't start out with nine. I think there was an attempt to make it bigger. Probably went to twelve, or was going to go to twelve for a while. That was during. 1940s um maybe 1930s because there was a bunch of depression era programs that the president was trying to get through and the courts were saying no that's overreach that's an overreach too big too big federal government has no authority um and he didn't like it uh so they're going to try and add justices that would have been amenable to passing that president's legislation thankfully that didn't end up working out because that would have been a pretty big abuse of power <laughs> um you know, it's even questionable if we were to take that step today. You know, you're, you're introducing questions into the legitimacy of the court if you just decide to expand it because you don't agree with its decisions. At some point, we have to live with the rules as they were written, even if it means we have to lose a battle today to win the war tomorrow. Um, and that's kind of the dance that's going on, right? And, and that's why we haven't. I haven't seen any legislation get proposed yet that's going to expand the court from Congress. Um, but I would love to see HR one pass. 
I would love to see Citizens United go down and I would love to see gerrymandering go away and I would love to see us restore the Republic and stop spending so much dang money on these ridiculous campaigns. But that's an aside. That's well, you nothing. know, I, I would also just like to push for them not to expand the court because yeah. I don't know how they're going to avoid each other in those halls if there's <laughs> more of them. They'll just be real like everyone will be sneaking around corners in those robes. It'll be really weird. Oh, I love it. That's a great way to end it out. Thank you, Raymond. <laughs> uh, we have been your host. Thank you, Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It's truly been a judgmental space of higher thought. It's been something, that's for sure. For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendugan.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fisley and Studios, Inc.